Hey, this is Stories from the C-Suite. Each month, we bring you the different stories of how amazing people made it to the top of their field, how their backgrounds helped them achieve what they are doing currently and what the future will hold for them. I'm Tom Coates, and I will be your guide. So thank you very much. For, and I believe this is the month of April, so we're, we're this is not a, a fool's thing. We're actually with, here with Dave Ford. I'm very excited. I've known Dave for several years, and uh, the neat thing about Dave is that um, people confuse us. They think we're brothers. <laughs> Only mother obviously loved him better because he's much better looking and taller. As you can tell from this podcast. Exactly. That's why we're on a podcast. <laughs> All right. So here we go. As you know, the first thing that we do is, is the same thing with our, our C-suite groups. You know, we, we like to share the why. Because uh, I think it's important that people can peek into your heart, know who you are, where do you come from, who's your mom and them almost, you know, kind of Southern thing. and But but tell that story of, of your beginning, where you came from, what, what do you, what's important. But um, I would like you to tell about what's it like to land a jet at night on an aircraft carrier in the Pacific Ocean. I'll save that for last. But thanks, okay. Tom. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for inviting me you to be joke. here today. I appreciate uh, what you're doing with C Suites. You're you're reaching out in the community. You're doing a great job helping us connect, and uh, we're we're all better for it. So uh, thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for inviting me to be here today. Um, good story about bottom line. Um, there's five of us in the organization, mm-hmm. so it's a boutique a software company, and we started in the throes of the recession, and everybody was laughing at us. They said. 2008, could you have picked a worse time to start a business? And we actually said, no, we're here to help save jobs. And they kind of looked at us and said, what do you mean by that? And we were very fortunate. Uh, We'd all been executives and organizations and realized there was an opportunity to work with finance, to work with IT, to come up with creative solutions to reducing spend, but not continue to cut uh, headcount. And felt like too many good people were being um, put aside or uh, asked to leave without really finding creative solutions to cost reduction. So bottom line started in 2008. Uh, and conferring with CFOs and CIOs in the Middle Tennessee area, they all came back and said, we need to find a way to reduce our spend on IT without impacting the business and without impacting personnel. And that's a tall task. Uh, IT is very complex, uh, and it's even getting more complex as time goes on. But the nice part is the CFOs said, I'm glad to work with you, but I don't want to hire a consultant. We don't want to spend time and materials and get a report on things we already know. And CIOs were basically saying, we think we have a good handle on our current spend, but help us find different ways to license or optimize what we have. So we ended up um, being performant. Um, We're rewarded based on how we perform for a client. And that's been very important for us all along because – As we have grown um, both in size and with the different types of clients uh, we work with, we're always performance paid. So uh, it was funny, Damien uh, Craven over at MDON, which has now changed health, gave us our tagline. And he said, you guys aren't consultants, you're resultants. Mm. And the reason he said we're resultants is we have the time, the experience, and the personnel to bring the results to their bottom line that they couldn't do uh, without having an organization like ours. 
And we're agnostic. Uh, when we work with a company, we, we don't care what kind of software, what kind of hardware they use. Uh, we just want to help them use what they have better and reduce the spend associated with it. So that's how we got started in 2008, uh, big into healthcare. Healthcare at that time was um, launching the Affordable Care Act and a lot Sorry. of new uh, hardware and software being uh, acquired and then significant expense. Uh, on the backside of that. So we were fortunate as they were looking at how to reduce their spend or the hockey stick that came into account because of that. Um, By being performance-driven, we could work on a project for three months, one month, a year uh, before uh, we brought the results to the bottom line. But the end result was always the same, significant savings for our clients, hence the name bottom line. And the ability to continue working with that same vendor changes hard. And I think if there's one thing that we're always conscious of in working with an organization, software, hardware, hard to make changes. You can make changes when it comes to your telecom uh, with your service provider for waste and other areas that uh, companies work with. But software is who you are in an organization and making any small changes is dramatic and can have a significant impact in the organization. So we try and minimize that. We try and develop options for them that are both financially driven. So we look at CapEx and OpEx and we also take a look at who's using it. How are they going to use it in the future so that we make sure that we have the right footprint, that the usage is understood and that we're making the right decisions with them. And we help them renegotiate uh, their contracts. So sometimes they ask us to do it. Other times we coach them. And the end result is always the same, that um, they come away with a better understanding of what they need, how they're going to use it both short-term and long-term, and a much better relationship with their vendor. Excellent. And the name of the firm is just not bottom line only. It is bottom line consortium. It is. That's the full name. So if anybody wants to Google that, then they need to know the whole picture there. That's a, that's a true statement. Uh, yeah, I know. We're always referred to as the guys, the boys from BLC. And um, <laughs> it's just kind of a, a great moniker. Do you have motorcycle jackets yeah, with that? We should have that. You should. That's, we hadn't thought about you got that, that yet. Harley, that would be cool. It would be. That would be awesome. Now, um, with that, you you primarily speak to CFOs. We do, and that that might seem different what you would expect. Yeah, you probably would think we talk directly to the CIO, uh, but the CFO is the one that has that fiduciary responsibility. Uh, with Sarbanes-Oxley, with a lot of the laws that have been put into account or into effect, uh, it's very important for organizations to understand what do they have, how are they using it, are they paying the right uh, amount for it. So. Uh, The CFO and the controller are mandated uh, to look at that, review that, analyze that. And they're the ones that embrace us, bring us on board, but they also don't force us um, upon IT. It's a partnership. And so we all three work together, finance, IT, and uh, ourselves. Sometimes purchasing gets involved as well. So uh, we're heavily involved throughout the organization, though we do the work. We do the heavy lifting. And I think that's really important because most organizations today have really cut back on their staff. And it's important to augment and to partner and to be an extension uh, and to be a resource for them. And the nice part is we don't just come in and work on one contract. As soon as we're finished with one, the client typically gives us another one to work on. And so we're, we're typically with a, a company for several years. 
And if there's a merger, if there's an acquisition, uh, we help them through that process as well. What's interesting is here we are in 2019, our business has changed slightly. We still have that core offering, but there's a lot of IT audits taking place. So the vendors are now uh, partnering with the big four. And those big four are uh, Ernst & Young, uh, mm-hmm. Deloitte, uh, KPMG. Yeah. And they're performing audits on behalf of the vendor. And the, these are very complex uh, audits that take up a lot of time, take up resources, and no, no organization is staffed for that. That's interesting. And Deloitte's IT division is here in Nashville. Absolutely, yes. And so you work with those guys and help or more we with the CPAs? The, we actually work for the client. Oh, oh so again, excellent. We, we, okay. don't work, we don't work for anybody that, but the so client. So you represent think, the client. Absolutely. And I, that's important because too often the vendors only, only want to sell more. And I think it's important that someone take the time to help them look at um, their footprint, analyze it for them, okay. help them understand what is it that you truly have? Are you using it? Did you buy a bundle? Are you really using what you bought? Are yeah. there different ways? And when you do that bundle, you pay maintenance on everything. Very expensive. And uh, as they do a true up uh, in two to three years, they'll sit there and go, we bought a lot, but only used a small portion of it. Now, now the transition that so many firms are taking now from a on-premise software Great with question. the licenses and the assurance of, you know, the the support agreements with that. And now so much is on the SaaS right. platform. The licensing on SaaS becomes, to me, even more important to make sure that you have it correct. Sure. And that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because today with virtualization, with the cloud, with outsourcing, you have to understand those relationships. Who's responsible for compliance with those agreements? And how do you ensure that you're in compliance? So with the cloud being a major initiative for most organizations today, because data centers are expensive, and the ability to take it off-site and to manage that uh, through a a third party uh, is important. And we see more and more of our clients go in that direction, but then also needing to make sure they understand what are the terms of the agreement? When they go to the cloud, how does that impact uh, the terms and conditions that they are operating under? Um, is it is that the right thing for them? Um, most organizations are asking themselves that question now, and we're a great partner for that because yeah. we do analysis for them saying, what is it you're trying to accomplish? It doesn't make sense to do it uh, virtual through the cloud. Or are you better off keeping it in a data center? Now, do you guys have it set up to where Let's say that your client has a particular platform that they utilize, and they've, they've somebody along the line had a bright, shiny moment and purchased another piece of software that does something, but their normal, everyday piece of software does that exact same thing. Right. Do you, are you in a position where you can hold the conversation with the, your client, the team there, and help them understand the the um, argument that why should they pay for an extra license when they already have the exact same service within a bundle they are paying for? Yeah, think about it, because CIOs last typically three to five years now. And when there's a change in that um, management, the new CIO likes to bring in their direct reports, likes to bring in their approach to IT and may cause a change. Yeah. And a lot of times the legacy software and hardware is not reviewed and it's just left there to operate. So you, there's a lot of times where you have duplication. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll have extra software that is just sitting there that's not being used. So it's important on an ongoing basis to do a thorough, and we, we call it a health check, um, where you just take a look at everything. And even though it may be small dollar, when you look at how many times it's been acquired, because a lot of organizations work as silos, or if you're retail, you may have an e-commerce group that's separate and run um uh, differently than it, uh, from the primary architecture. So you have to understand how has the vendor sold to that organization mm-hmm. and make sure that you pull all the contracts together and work with the vendor to pull all those contracts together and then do the analysis. Because so often, and I'm glad you brought that point up because so often people just renew based on what they think they have and then add three to 5%. Or they'll look at Gartner and say, well, Gartner, what should be my range of a discount? What's a discount on something that you've got to make sure you understand? Because so often we get caught up in the discount rate. That's not what you should be looking at. You need to be looking at what is what is your footprint look like? What are you actually using and how can you do it better? Yeah. And that's why we're there. Uh, we, we're truly a partner. And by working with our clients the way we do, and it's a great arrangement. And I don't think we talked about that, but we only take a portion of the first year savings. And I think that's very important in this day and age because when you're there and you're present, they like to um, really engage you. But in year two of the agreement, in year three of the agreement, where you're generating savings for that client, but you're not there, 100% of it goes to the client. And they've always found that to be a great relationship with us. So uh, bottom line, it's got a great reputation in this town. And as you know in this town, there's there's not one degree of separation. Absolutely, And you guys do. You guys do amazing work. I do have a question about tribal knowledge. Yes. Part of your process in challenging, hey, why did we make this decision, that decision? You help recapture that tribal knowledge to bring that that new CFO into the fold where now they know the rationale of why that earlier decision was made, and then that individual could make the decision to carry forward. Another great question, because so often the people that made those initial decisions are long since gone. Yeah. Why, why it was acquired, why it was um, being used in the organization the way it was. And we can go back and help them understand this is why you set up um, using this hardware the way you do or why you're using this particular software and make sure they understand that and then give them all the different options. So we'll give them a range of options uh, that is significant in range, but there's always risk associated with it too. And I think that's important. You have to point out there's risk. So if you choose not to do an enterprise agreement and you do a select agreement when it comes to Microsoft, there's there's some business uh, challenges and changes that have to be made as a, uh, in association with that. So it's important to... Make sure that you explain all the risks, all the opportunities, and uh, work with the client to make a decision that they're comfortable with. And yeah. it's their decision. And I think what's nice for us is after we've been with them for a while, they now understand what do they need to have covered. How do they want to cover it so that when it comes time for renewal, they're the ones making the decisions versus the vendor telling them what to do. Yeah. Have I told you about the the – Sulfur decision made by the county commissioners. You have it. I'd love to hear it again. All right. So, so this to me, this is hysterical. So this, you know, I don't remember. It's like half a million dollar software decision. The conversation took ten minutes. But if you're going to buy a thirty five thousand dollar truck for the 
for the dump trucks, for the sanitary department, that conversation took three and a half hours. Because the people making the decision, they know trucks. Understood. They don't know software. So what you're able to do is bring that information to the decision makers so that they understand what they're buying and making that that crucial decision about the um, firm. And I'm also going to play into that comment because today finance is doing a much better job of interacting True. with IT. And the, in the past years or in a while back, it was finance in one silo, IT in another, and they really didn't get along as well as they should. And I think by bringing them together to help them make a decision together that they both are comfortable with and involving purchasing, all parties then achieve the goal. So yeah. there's transparency. Uh, the services that IT needs are being met. So I think it's important when an organization can, can really feel uh, that they made the right decision uh, in all departments. Fantastic. All right. So your website is? Bottomlineconsortium.net. Dot net. Excuse me, dot com. Dot com. All right. Get it right. Say it one more time. Bottomlineconsortium.com. Okay. Now, enough of that. Tell us about flying jets. That's what I want to know. <laughs> there I was. Unfortunately, you can't see me because the picture of my face and my hands, you'd see that I'd be talking with my uh, hands and having a lot of fun uh, doing it. Uh, having been a fighter pilot for nine years, uh, I live the dream. Uh, it's kind of fun right now. Uh, we're celebrating uh, 50th anniversary of landing on the moon. Right. And the reason I joined the service is I wanted to be an astronaut. And thoroughly enjoyed my time in the service. Uh, nine years came along. I was a fighter pilot. I was carrier pilot. Uh, landed on board the ship at nighttime. Uh, I think the best way to describe being a, uh, a landing aboard the ship is a control crash. Uh, because <laughs> if you think about it, you're coming down, your velocity is about seven foot per second is your rate of descent. So think about jumping off a one-story house and landing in an area that's covered by four, four wires. I don't remember the distance between the wires, but it's a relatively short distance when you're coming in at 130 miles an hour plus. So you don't have men, much time to make uh, um, many changes other than a little bit of left, a little bit of right, a little up, a little down. Uh, so you have to come down in a very narrow window to land aboard the ship. But um, my goal in, uh, when I was in the service was to have my takeoff sequel, my landings. And I, I've done that very successfully. Good job there. So you and I, was it two years ago now that we had the privilege of speaking to the Veterans Group we Operation did. Stand Down Tennessee? Big fan of that. Oh, my goodness, yes. And and we we there was 108 veterans in the room. And for some reason, they were listening to us. And it was wonderful. We were talking about, about um, you know, networking and LinkedIn and business, and it was it was so much fun. But in this, I told the story about my trip to San Diego, and I was on the going through the museum, USS Midway, and I texted you from San Diego from the flight deck of the Midway, and said, "Hey, is this like the ship that you used to land on?" And you responded? It is. That was my home. Home sweet home. I was stationed aboard the Midway for three years. The interesting part is the Midway was forward deployed. So we never came back. So the ship was uh, based out of Japan. And we went out on three, four, six-month cruises. 
and thoroughly enjoyed our time traveling the world. Uh, we were in the Pacific, Western Pacific at that time, Indian Ocean, and uh, really had an opportunity to uh, spend a lot of time uh, with the ship because the air wing, unlike uh, air wings in the U.S., never uh, left the ship. We were permanently deployed on the carrier. So the ship worked well with the air wing and vice versa. Right. Uh, that's known as the black shoes and the brown shoes. The brown shoes are the, are the guys in the air wing, and the black shoes are the ones that operate the ship. So had a great rapport with them. Uh, it was known as the Midway Magic, and nice. truly because we operated as a unit. We operated as one, where most of the U.S.-based uh, carriers uh, coming out of uh, East and West Coast Air wing deploys with a carrier, but as soon as it gets back, it leaves the ship. And so you may not deploy on the same carrier. So unique opportunity to uh, serve with some uh, great uh, men, and it's now men and women. But at the time I was in, yeah. uh, when we went to sea, it was all men. Right. And now, when you confirmed that that was your ship, what was my response? You were amazed that I could land on that thing. No, no, no. My response was, <laughs> you are old. Well, okay, now yes. I'm going to play into that comment because <laughs> I know where you're going. Uh, I am old because— everything you touched in the military is now in the museum. Including myself. <laughs> uh, so down at uh, Pensacola is a great air museum that the Navy has. And uh, some friends recently sent me a picture— and they said, you're in a museum. And I said, not possible. And they said, no, our squadron plaques from when we were deployed uh, and went to the Philippines all came back when the U.S. left the Philippines. Uh, the Navy brought back its officers club at QB Point and all the plaques there. So two of the squadron plaques from when I served on the Midway are uh, prominently displayed uh, in the museum. So I'm in a museum. Everything I've touched is now retired. Uh, matter of fact, I was just in Annapolis for a wedding and uh, met the uh, superintendent. Uh, his name's Admiral Carter. Uh, Admiral Carter was uh, one of my first backseaters. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we, we referred to them as Gib, Guy, and Back, uh, or Radar Intercept Officer. But uh, Admiral Carter is uh, retiring after just shy of 40 years in the Navy. And we were reminiscing about the Midway because you have that love for that first squadron oh, you deployed with. And great group uh, and looking forward to many uh, reunions. Oh, my goodness. I love that. And again, I, uh, you're an amazing fellow. Your company does amazing stuff. We didn't get to talk any at all about Hill. Let's save that for another podcast. Let's do. Let's do because I, I love that story. But it is a true pleasure to have you as a friend, and thank you for being here today. Likewise. And I'll do a Marcus Lamonis. I'll reach across and shake your hand. <laughs> thank you much. All right. Thanks, man. Before we get to this month's networking tip, I want to make sure that you remember that in October, on October 24th, is this year's Unstuck Business Conference. We have eight speakers that are going to bring you amazing information. It's going to be a time for good fellowship, good networking, and great info. You don't want to miss that. Go to our website at csweetbiz.com and look for information on it, and we will keep you posted. Our networking tip for, for this month is derived from a very long YouTube video that Dave Ford and I did. It was entirely too long, entirely convoluted, and was awful, but we had so much fun doing it, and we hope to do it again soon. It was hysterical. Two guys with coffee, and we were talking about doing a coffee meeting, best practices and stuff. But during that time, 
we talked about building your network and being a connector within your, your network. And he said, well, Tom, how do you go about having all the resources and knowing and remembering how to help people connect with others? And I told him that it's the power of three. If I can learn three things about you, then you become part of my professional network. I said, here's an example. I have a friend who is a banker. How many bankers do you know? And Dave rolled his eyes because we all know quite a few bankers. I said, okay, me too. This banker friend actually has his degree in English, mostly in the area of writing books and, and literature and storytelling. It was pretty well where his degree comes from. He goes, okay. I said, well, think about it. Here I have a banker who knows how to tell the story, your story, that he's going to take to the people that decide if you get the loan or not. Isn't that a good banker to know that can repeat your story and make it compelling? He goes, yeah. Okay. The third interesting thing, this Yahoo has hiked the entire Appalachian Trail. So now I know what they do, how they do it differently from others, and a very interesting fact about that person. If you could find those three things, then that is a connection that you could make to anybody. Because wouldn't you love to meet my Appalachian Trail hiking storytelling banker? That is your networking tip for this month. Hey, we also want to thank our friends over at I-65 Music. They're the ones that produced, recorded, and edited this episode. Nashville's only audio branding agency, 20 years experience in music and audio. They give brands and agencies that expertise needed to bring their companies and their brands voice to the world. You know, if your company or your brand is, is looking to be more distinctive in its category and precise in its communication, then reach out to I-65 Music. They their website is I, as in the letter I, 65music.com. Or you can also email them at info at I65music.com. I hope that you enjoyed this story today. It, it, to me, the, the hearings from somebody's heart, how they achieved what's important to them, their passion, really, it tells me who they are as a person, and it helps me find success in other things as well. So each month we will share this type of story. If you know somebody that needs to be part of our show, please let us know. And join us anytime you'd care to at one of our C-Suite events. Another thing that you could do to help us out with this is subscribe and also leave a comment. Tell us what we're doing right. Eh, we'll take the what we can do improve too because you don't get better without that. But please join us each time. If you subscribe to it, you'll be notified every time we put one out. Thanks. Talk to you soon. 